Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that could not get out of your house because there's a parade going by your street today and you're watching online or wherever you're watching, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at City Walk, and recently I have uh, begun the process of becoming a volunteer chaplain uh, for the Yuba City Police Department. And I don't know about you, but um, I have—I don't know if you notice uh, when you're driving around just normally, but I've found since I started this process that I notice ambulances more. I notice police cars more, not that I ever speed, that would never, I would never do that, uh, but, I, but I find myself noticing that. And uh, there's, there's nothing worse, well, there's probably uh, several things worse, but, but in, in context, there's not a lot worse than kind of driving down the street and you are kind of listening to your favorite song or, you know, your favorite podcast, maybe you're arguing with the guy on the radio and you don't realize how fast you're actually going until a friend of yours gets behind you and turns their lights on and you quickly notice, oh no, you look down and you realize, you know what? Oh, it says 35, but my speedometer says 55 and that's probably not going to be helpful in these next few minutes. And maybe you've experienced that or maybe you remember uh, as a little kid, uh, when you would get invited to the principal's office, knowing that you did something wrong, and, and you thought it was going to kind of pass, and maybe you never experienced this. I'm just, you're my counselor, and I'm sharing my childhood with you right now. Uh, but, but maybe you've experienced that. And whether you're an adult and you saw the lights come on behind you, and you, you look down and you realize that you're speeding or whether you're that little kid who, man, you know you did something wrong that you were hoping wouldn't get found out by the teacher, but it got found out, and, and you're kind of getting invited to have a special meeting with the principal. In all of those scenarios, when we know we've done something wrong and we got caught, in the back of our mind, we are praying, and even if we're not a spiritual person, we are praying we don't get what we deserve. When the lights come on behind us and we look down and we know we're going 20 miles over the speed limit or we get invited to the principal's office, no, we're the one that took the whatever or did the thing. We, we kind of pray in our minds and we're hoping, man, can a brother get some grace today? I hope I don't get what I deserve. And we, we all experience that, it, no matter kind of who you are, or how you were brought up, you've had different times in your life when you did the thing wrong, or you did speed, and you did deserve some type of a punishment or fine, 
But you, in the back of your mind, you're hoping when you get back to the car that there's not a parking ticket and that you don't get what you deserve. But, but here's the thing, and, and, and maybe you would say, yeah, I, I would, I've experienced this as well, Chris. Sometimes we kind of bring that mindset into our relationship with God. And, and here's what I mean, and, and we, we might not say it this way, but in the back of our mind, here's what we think. Instead of viewing God as this gracious, loving Father, we kind of, in the back of our mind, we view God as this cosmic school principal, this really demanding boss, or this judge that's kind of waiting for us to mess up. And, and we might not say it this way, but kind of in our minds we think, man, if I'm doing good, I'm good with God. If I decide to step out of what God wants, and if I have a bad day, man, I'm not good with God anymore, and he's mad at me, and it's, it's like I'm going to the principal's office. And, and so we kind of look at God the same way we look at that school principal, or that judge, or that, that demanding boss, and, and in our minds, we see our relationship with God as conditional. If, I, if I'm checking all the boxes, then God's good with me. But if I accidentally, I forget to check a box or I step out of line in this one area, oh, man, I'm, I'm God's, he's angry with me. And why wouldn't we think that? And, and here's what I mean by that. Why wouldn't we, we think that about God? Because for some of us, maybe you have, have had an earthly father in your life that, man, you did everything you could to please him and you never quite measured up. Or you have other relationships in your life, whether the relationships at work or the relationships even in your home or the relationships with friends at school. And when, when you're doing the right thing, when you're producing, when you're, you're, you know, you're, you're good, they're friends with you. They love you. They treat you well. But when you step out of what they consider good or you mess up one time, that friendship, that love that you thought was there, it goes away and it gets awkward. So why wouldn't we put that on God? Why wouldn't we put what we experience in so many other relationships on God? And, and whether we should or not, we find ourselves doing that because, you know what, I tried to please my dad and I did all the things and I thought I checked all the boxes and, and he just never was happy with me. Or, I, 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 man, at work when I'm doing the right things, it seems like everybody loves me. I'm getting invited to all the social things. But, man, if I accidentally mess up or I don't produce exactly what I was supposed to produce this quarter, it, all that friendship and that relationship seems to get awkward and it goes away. And so why wouldn't we put that on God? See, the, the sad thing is the, the message and really the heart of religion is the message I get what I deserve. It's actually at the heart of religion, of, of, of this idea of whatever religion is for you. At the heart of the message of religion is this idea that I get what I deserve. And, and you, you might be surprised by this, but in, in the first century, when Jesus was interacting with the religious crowd, 
they were not huge fans of him. And maybe you felt this as you kind of, maybe you walked away from religion or the church, and maybe you called it religion. Maybe there were seasons where you walked away because you felt like, man, you, you couldn't check enough boxes, or you couldn't give enough money, or you couldn't you know, do the thing just enough to make all the religious people happy with you, and so you just walked away. And the good thing is, Jesus didn't make the religious people. He, he, he never checked the boxes the way they wanted him to either. And so you're actually in pretty good company. And they, they, they were not fans of his and, and, and to the point where they wanted to kill him. And they, they tried to and they, they went through with it. And so today as we continue, we're going to continue on in this series. And the series we started this past week because I think this topic is so important what did Jesus say about? We started a series, and we're going to ask ourselves the specific question this week. What did Jesus say about religion? What did Jesus say about religion? How did Jesus interact with this religious idea of, I get what I deserve, which is what religion says? And, and there's a story in the New Testament written by a doctor. His name's Luke. And it's a story that even if you didn't grow up in church, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, it's a story you've probably heard of. It's a story that's known just simply as the story of the prodigal son. And in this story that Dr. Luke writes, this parable that Jesus told and, and Dr. Luke wrote down for all of us, we get a really good picture kind of from the inside of what Jesus really thought about religion. And if you have your, your Bibles, or you could, you'll see it up on the screen, look with me at Luke chapter 15. And, and before Luke tells us the story of the prodigal son, he gives us a little bit of context. He tells us who Jesus is talking to to give some context to the story. And so in Luke chapter 15... Verse 1, Luke tells us kind of who's in the crowd. And it says this in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. So no matter what you believe, whether you're somebody that's a longtime follower of Jesus or you're somebody that isn't sure what you believe about Jesus, maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you're, you're not sure that you buy into the whole Jesus thing, this verse right here should stop you in your tracks. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. All the people that were in that society that were the bad people, there were sinners and they hated tax collectors so much, they gave them their own category. So like, you're, you're a sinner, but you're even worse, you're a tax collector. They, they gave them these categories, and it was these people that the religious crowd was not a huge fan of. These were the people trying to get on the front row of Jesus's messages. So that should make you lean in a little bit, whether you, no matter what you think about Jesus or what you've been told, there's something to this. Luke goes on in verse 2 and he says this, not only were the tax collectors and the sinners kind of there in the crowd and they were trying to get a seat and they were getting close to Jesus, 
But it says this in verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomed sinners and eats with them. So you have the, the tax collectors and sinners, and, and you know, you can just, like, we, we know what those people are. Those are kind of the bad people. Those are the people you don't want to hang out with because they're going to ruin your reputation. You got those people, but then you have this other group of people that the scriptures calls Pharisees and scribes. So these are the legalistic Jewish religious leaders who promoted really strict adherence to the Mosaic law. So these were the best rule keepers in the city. I mean, they looked the part, they kept all the rules, they looked down on you if you couldn't keep the rules as good as them. In their, even in their case, the rules weren't good enough, so they're like, you know what, this rule isn't strong enough, so we're actually going to make a stronger rule than the actual rule. That's the type of people that these were. So you have this pretty mixed crowd of people that are kind of the outcast, the sinful people, and then you have the religious people that... Man, they kept all the rules. They looked the part. And they're there in the midst of Jesus kind of sharing this parable. And then Luke goes on and he tells a couple short parables, but then he gets to this parable or this story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. It says this in Luke 15, we'll pick up in verse 11. It says this, He also said, A man and his two sons... So in the story, there's three main characters. There's the, the dad, and then we don't know a ton about his sons other than one is obviously younger, one is older, and these are kind of the three main characters in this story that Jesus is about to tell us. And one of the things you're going to find out is that these two young men, though their lives look very different, they probably believed the same lie, I get what I deserve. Just like the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, the, the Pharisees and the sinners, they probably believed the same lie as well, that, hey, I get what I deserve. And so Jesus says, hey, there's these, a dad and his two sons, and he tells us a little bit about the younger son first. He says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them, to him. So this younger kid, and we're not sure exactly how old he is, other than that he's younger than his brother. He's probably an adult. Uh, just based on what the rest of the story is, he basically comes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, uh, I want to basically treat you as if you were dead, and I would like my share of the estate right now. So this is not just awkward. This is very insulting. Like you wouldn't, This is just a kind of a terrible thing to say. You wouldn't do this in this society. You're insulting your dad. You're basically telling your dad, hey, I kind of wish you were dead. Like, I want to treat you as if you were dead. I'd like my part of the pie right now. And, and in this society, obviously, his dad didn't have to give it to him, but his dad, for whatever reason, decided to give him his part of the pie. And it says this, it says in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. 
So this younger kid takes the, the bag with him, the load of money, whatever, how much ever his dad gave him. We don't know how much. And he goes to a distant country. And he basically wastes everything. We don't know if it took him a week to do this, a year. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He wasted everything, not on anything worth it. It says he squandered it on foolish living. And then it says this in verse 14. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, that country, and he had nothing. So basically, life in the far country didn't go as he planned, and it never does. Life in the far country, greener on the other side of the fence. If I could do it this way, oh, it's going to be a lot better. It it just never seems to work out. And this guy took all the money. I'm sure he had great plans. At the end of the day, he squandered it all. Now he's in a place where he has nothing left. There's a famine. He's hungry. He's desperate. And instead of humbling himself at that point, he decides, you know what, I'm going to try to fix this a little bit. And so he looks for some work. It says this in verse 15, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. So this younger son, he, at this point, he's kind of hit rock bottom. So for us, this is this is a, okay, feed pigs, that's, you know, probably not a fun job, but okay, I could do that if, if it would make me some money. But in his society, as a Jewish kid, this was basically the bottom of the bottom. Like, they don't even eat bacon, and so now they're feeding pigs. Like, this is, like, you just don't do this. This is desperation. This is, I have no other options. I am desperate. So he's in this country, he's wasted everything, he's so hungry and desperate, he's willing to go and feed pigs. And not only does he feed pigs, but in the very next kind of phrase, we find out that he is really desperate because it says this in verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So he's so desperate that he's not only feeding pigs, he wants to eat what he's feeding them, and nobody will even let him do that. Like, this is, the, this is not good. What, what, what he would never fathom became his reality. His worst nightmare, he was living out. The story goes on, and... This very next phrase, it says this in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. It's this phrase right here for some of us in this room even. We've had moments like this. And it was, it's an evidence of God's grace that that happens. It's an evidence of God's grace to this young man that there was a moment that in the midst of the unclarity that he actually got a little bit of clarity and he realizes what am I doing it goes on and it says this how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger I'll get up go to my father and say to him father 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So in the midst of literally sitting in the slop with the pigs, he comes to this moment where he's like, my, the guys that work for my dad, like the bottom of the totem pole guys that work for my dad, they have a better life than me. They're not in a pig pen. They at least have something to eat, a place to stay. Man, this is, this is crazy where I'm at. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and maybe I, could, maybe I could just work for my dad. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to try to be a son again. I'm not going to ask for all of that. But could I, just, like, could I just be at the bottom of the totem pole? Could I like, eat what your workers eat? Could I just have a job? And so he begins to formulate his plan. He begins to kind of get his speech ready for like when he sees his dad. And, and he begins this journey home because the younger son believed the lie, I get what I deserve. He believed the lie, I get what I deserve. And so he, 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 he kind of talks through what he's going to say to his dad. Look at verse 18. He says, I'll get up, I'll go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you're in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He, he, he believed in his heart, I get what I deserve. I don't deserve to be called a son, but maybe my dad will at least let me work for him be an employee. See, he believed that sin had earned him an unrepairable relationship, like the, the relationship that he had with his dad because of thinking that he was going to get what he deserved. He thought he was at a point where it was not repairable, and so at least he could go home and he could at least be a worker. See, in the moment, though, he did not realize how good his father really was. He, he thought his dad's love was conditional. He thought he was going to get what he deserved. So it didn't even, probably in his mind, he didn't even fathom what would really take place when he went home. So he, we go on and look at verse 20s and again we don't know how long this is so we don't know like did he have like a week to rehearse his speech was it like a really long journey was it a day how far is in the distant country how far away is this kid but we know he's, he's pretty far away and so he's got some time to kind of rehearse this thing and and if and if he's probably like some of us he's probably got about seven scenarios going on like his dad just going to shoot me when he sees me like, what if it goes really south? What's this thing going to look like? Like, uh, is, is he going to say yes to this? Is he going to just kick me to the curb? Like, he doesn't know, but I'm sure on his way home, he's probably playing scenarios out. And so he's, he's at a spot where he knows, man, he is just a little ways away from where he's going to see his dad's estate. And he's, he's, he's home now. And so he, he continues to walk down the road towards his home, and he's getting close, and it says this, so he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. So this means that his father was looking for him. 
because he's, he's, he's a long way off. And, and his father is not, he, he doesn't know his son's coming home. He doesn't know this is the day. He doesn't know if he'll ever see his son. He probably is in a spot in his life. He doesn't even know if his son's alive. But yet you see this father who is looking for his son. And we know he's looking for him because he sees him way off. He's looking. And as he's looking, he sees his son. And it says he saw him and was filled with compassion. He wasn't filled with rage. He wasn't filled with embarrassment. He wasn't filled with anger. He was filled with compassion. And the story says that he ran, which even this, in this society, it was kind of below a guy like this to even run. So, so he, he's so excited. He sees his son again, far away. And is that, is, that, is that him? And he sees him. And he, instead of being like angry and, and ready to like tear into him, it says he had compassion and he ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And in this society, this son had embarrassed his dad. He probably had embarrassed the whole family. He may have even embarrassed the village or the group of families that his family was a part of. And so he was deserving of death in this society. So as his father is running to him, yes, he's showing him compassion, but he may also be saying, you know what? Not my son. You're not, you're not going to hurt my son I'm going to take care of my son. I'm, I sh- I'm going to show compassion on my son. He's not going to be hurt. He's not going to pay for this. He throws his arms around him. He has compassion on him. He kisses him. And the son, he starts into the speech. Like He's got the speech that's been playing out in his head, and he starts into his speech. It says this, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight... I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad just wasn't hearing it. Like he's going through his speech, saying it just the way he planned to say it. And, you know, just he had thought it through and he starts into it. And dad, it's like he's not even saying it. Dad's not hearing it. It says this, but the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father, he, he didn't want to hear a speech. It, it never entered his mind to give his son what he deserved. If the son got what he deserved, there would have been a funeral, not a feast. But everything changed because the father loved him unconditionally. And his love for his son was never based on his performance. It was based on who the father was and his character. And what the son quickly found out is that everything he had been looking for in the distant land, he actually found in right relationship with his father. 
The, the, the greener grass he thought was over there when he got home after he realized it isn't really over there. He got home and he realized very quickly that everything and more that he could have ever wanted, the love, the acceptance, was actually all found in a right relationship with his father. So the, the story, man, it's just it's like a happy ending. Great, son's home, celebrate, party, good time. But then you got another son. And so the older son kind of enters the picture. And look with me at verse uh, 15, or, or chapter 15, verse 25. It says this. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So the, the older son was in the field doing what he was supposed to do. He was responsible, he was hardworking, he probably could be counted on. He hears all this kind of ruckus at the house, and so he's like, hey, what's going on? Verse 26, so he summoned one of the servants, questioning, what, what, what do these things mean? What's going on? Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then verse 28 says this, then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Instead of celebrating, and oh, my brother, who we thought might even be dead, is home. Let's celebrate. Man, he's angry. His dad comes out and comes out and just kind of begs him, "Hey, man, come on in. Let's. This is so, so good. Your brother's here. Let's celebrate." But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. He's saying basically, man, I, I kept all the rules. I, I checked all the boxes. I deserve honor. I deserve comfort. I deserve celebration. The verse 30 says it this, but, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. This older brother, he, he sees all the good that he's done, but he sees very clearly and he's very willing to point out the, the sins of his brother while he's blind to his own pride. And so he points out, dad, come on. This dude just took a third of our assets and, and blew it all up and he wasted it on prostitutes and all kind of just terrible things. Come on. He's angry. And it says this, verse 31. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, though the, the older son, he was proud, he was unloving, he was unaware of his own sin. But even in the midst of not being aware of his own sin, you can see the graciousness of his father just coming out of the party and just trying to explain to him, man, what, what's going on? But the son, we, we don't know kind of how the story ends. There's nothing left after this. But, but it ends with, man, this son is angry, proud, pointing out his brother's sin. 
And his dad's heart is broken because of him. See, both sons were very different from how it looked on the outside, but both of them believed the lie, I get what I deserve. And and as you and I, as we kind of lean in to this story of the prodigal son, and like I said earlier, you probably have heard this story, whether you grew up in church or not, you probably find yourself relating a little bit to one of the characters. And, and let me break this to you. The dad is God, so you probably, you're not God, so it's not, one, not him. Uh, but, but the other two, you, you maybe, maybe you find yourself kind of relating more with the younger son. Maybe in your past, you've, man, you've blown some stuff up in monumental ways. You've, 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 you've got some stuff that you're ashamed of. You've wasted some of like life, and, and you've, you've done some things that have caused shame, you're not proud of, you've hurt people, and you kind of look back and you kind of see yourself in that kind of picture of that younger son, and maybe you remember a season of your life like that, and, and maybe you find yourself kind of like the younger son, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but you almost think, man, I don't even know if God really wants me. Like maybe we can work out a deal, maybe me and God could could work something out, but I don't know that he really wants me because of the way I've lived. Or or maybe you find yourself kind of feeling in relating with the older son. Like on the outside, you've kept things really clean. You've kept the rules. And and inside of you, you kind of look down on people that don't keep the rules as good as you. And maybe you don't say that out loud, but, but there's something inside of you that, man, you think, man, I check all the boxes, and I've kept it really clean on the outside, and, and yeah, i got some stuff in the closet maybe nobody knows about, but on the outside, everything is, is looking right. I check all the boxes. I go to all the right places. I don't go to the wrong places. And then you kind of look at people that struggle, and, and there's something inside of you that thinks, and, and again, you wouldn't say this out loud, but you would kind of inside like, I'm a little bit better than them. Yeah, yeah, I wish they'd get their stuff together like I got my stuff together. And you kind of look at them that way. Whether you relate with the older son, or maybe you better relate with the younger son, there's a couple truths in this story that we really need to grab onto. And the first one is this. God's love for you is not based on who you are, but who he is. And this, when you get this, and this is huge. This doesn't mean you, you go like blow your life up just for fun. But what it means is this whole God's love thing and this unconditional thing, it actually is unconditional. And so on your best day, God loves you. On your worst day, God's love doesn't go down a couple percent. He still loves you. Because his love for you and his love for me and his love for those of you that are watching online was was never based on who we were. It was always based on who he is. See, we love people. God is love. That's like a big difference. Yeah, we show love to people and we love people. The very character of God is love. He can't not love. It's who he is. And that was never based on who you are or what you did. It's always been about who he is. 
And so this is one of the truths we see in the story. But the second one is this. God's gift of salvation is not riding on what you have done, but what Jesus did. I mean, honestly, if it was riding on our performance, I hope this isn't a newsflash, but none of us would be worthy of it. Like the scripture tells us that there's nothing good in us. That even on our best day, the best we can bring to God is filthy rags. The scripture tells us that no one seeks after God. Like no, and no one means what no one means. No one seeks after God. There's no little kid that's born and they just automatically like, you know what? I'm just going to buy into this whole God thing. I'm going to embrace God, do things his way, trust him 100%. No, we wake up, or we, we're born, and, and you may not like this about a, a little baby, but basically we're born running away from God. We're, we're born avoiding it. We're born trying to do things our own way. And we see in this story that God's gift of salvation, it's not riding on what you have done, but what Jesus did. And so, instead of believing the lie, I get what I deserve, like, what would the ramifications be on your life, if you're watching online or you're here, what would the ramifications be on your life this week if you believe the truth that God the Father is good and that he pursues you with a perfect love that never changes? Like, what would the ramifications on your life and your mindset be if you went into this week and you were confident that God loves you, that he is good, and that his love for you never changes? You know what it might lead us to do? If you kind of relate with that younger son, it might lead us to quit trying to make deals and just run from our sin into the arms of Jesus. Because God doesn't want your deal. He doesn't need you to like, well, you know, I've screwed up here really bad. But if I, do the, if I can get the church three out of four weeks and then I start giving a little bit here, God. And if I, you know, maybe I walk a, an extra old lady across the street now and kind of do that. Like, are, are we going to be okay, God? God's like, why don't you just trust me and just... Run away from your sin into the arms of your heavenly father. How about that be our deal? You just run away from the things that will hurt you and destroy you that I've told you to stay away from and just run into my, my arms, my unconditional love, the plan I have for you that's good. Let's make that the deal. How about you just believe me and do it my way instead of the younger son, you know, if I could make a deal and I know I'm not worthy of this, but maybe it's, I've only gone this far, so maybe God's got a little more patience for me. If we really believed that God loved us, he was good, that his love was unconditional, that his plan was best, we could leave the far country, leave the pig pen, and run back to the Heavenly Father, into His arms, into His acceptance, into His celebration, into His goodness. Maybe you relate more with the older son. 
And maybe for you, believing that God's good and that he loves you unconditionally might lead you to, instead of pursuing approval from God, pursue intimacy with him. Like he wants you to know him. He wants to spend time with you. And when this happens, our doing for him becomes an overflow of our intimacy with him. See, some of us, we, we think this because the rest of our relationships are about if I do this, then we're good. If I don't do this, then we're not good. So we, we put that on God and God's like, this thing's never been about doing It's always been about intimacy. It's always been about relationship. And when you pursue intimacy and relationship with me, the doing is just an overflow of the intimacy. You love other people because of the intimacy you have with God. It's not a chore. It's it's what overflows. And, And as we... Think about this. There's, there's a huge application to this, obviously, personally. And there's application for us to make individually. But there's also application for us to make as a gathering, as a church. If you're watching online and you call City Walk Home, there's application for us as a church. And here's what I mean. The news of a loving Heavenly Father who, who provides a way for us to have a relationship with Him and is a good God, that's really good news that other people need to know about. Like if if this story is really true, and if it really describes who God really is, like this is good news that more people need to know about. Like why would we ever keep this from other people? Why would we not pursue other people and tell them about this good God who loves them unconditionally, who wants a relationship with them that will transform them and give them a home in heaven? Why would we keep that to ourselves? Like we believe as a church that in God's sovereign plan that he put us here in this season to get the good news out to Yuba Sutter to the West, and to the world. We don't think it's by accident that we're here in this season of history, but that we're here to get the good news out, the news that we just talked about. And a few years ago, and this is what I'm going to share with you next, is some things that as a church we've, we've been talking about, and, and I've shared with you, and if you call City Walk Home, you're probably not going to hear anything that you've never heard before, but some, some really specific ways that we're moving towards helping get the good news out because we just really feel that people must know about this, about Jesus. Not about City Walk, but about Jesus. And so a few years ago, kind of in the midst of COVID, we said, you know what, if, if we're, we were at that point a couple years old as a church and we said, man... For us, we, we felt from the very beginning that we wanted to be a church that multiplied, that we were, wanted to be a church that helped start other churches, a church that would plant other churches ourselves. And, and so we, we, from the beginning, we've been praying, Lord, what does that look like as a toddler church ourselves? Like, what does that look like in this first season? And so we, we came up with two really strategic goals that we felt would help us get the good news to more people in this season. The first thing we said is we wanted to help 
five new churches plant in the western United States. And so if you've been around a little while, you know that the local church in Denver, that's literally their name, the local church, Justin and Lacey McKay, this is them, and they actually have another, another one uh, that's not in the picture. They planted in Arveda, which is right outside of Denver. They're a little over, coming up on their two-year birthday. And we, as a young church, said, man, we want to be about helping them plant a life-giving church in that area. So that, that weekend, even when they planted uh, the West, they went out and spent some time with them. We have sent some resources. We provided coaching, care. Uh, Justin and Lacey are really special to us. A few years later, we said, you know what? We wanna, there's another church we want to help, and it's, it was Hugh Church. And if you remember, uh, Hugh Church, they planted less than a year ago in the Bay Area. And again, it was... We're helping them plant. We're not in the Bay Area ourselves, but we wanted to help them plant. And so our goal is over this next few years to help three more churches plant kind of in the Western United States. But the second part of our strategy to, to, again, get the good news out was we wanted to plant five church locations kind of in our Jerusalem, Judea. So 90 minutes to two hours kind of around us. And so obviously in 2019, we planted Yuba City in, in Yuba City. During COVID, we used that season to plant kind of an online location. We didn't have anything really going on online. And, and Mark and his team and a few others spent a lot of time. We invested a little bit of money so that we had a, a, an online kind of location where people could be ministered to. And so that's going and then in just at a few months, at Edgewater Elementary, in February of 2024, this building is going to be a place where every single Sunday, Jesus is talked about. Right in this, and I think there's a picture of the inside, this gym, after we set up all the chairs and we get it ready and make it look like a church as much as we can, this is a room in Edgewater where people are going to come to know Jesus. Marriages are going to get healed. Families that are broken are going to see God work in them. We're excited about this. This is hard work. But we're excited about it because of we, we can't keep the news to ourselves. Like More people need to know that Jesus loves them. And so we're, we're looking for, in fact, today we have a launch team meeting with the team that's going to help launch it uh, right after church. We're planning, we're praying, we're getting ready so that on February 18th, 2024, we will be in two locations and the gospel will go out in two separate places simultaneously because people need to know. And as part of this, this past year, about a year ago, and if you're new to our church or you don't call our church home then this is just for you to hear. But for those of us that call City Walk home, we, we've talked about this for about a year now, just a little less than a year. So about just a little less than a year ago, we put together a plan to raise $375,000 above and beyond our normal giving. We just called it People Must Know, the People Must Know campaign. And our goal was we were going to use those funds to do two things. 
The first thing we were going to do with those funds is we're going to use 150000 of it to plant that new location in Edgewater. And so here's how that breaks down. Basically, we wanted to cover the major expenses of that location for the first year. We wanted to have that money up front. So if, if it goes slow at the beginning, man, no problem. It's all taken care of. Because just renting a facility, like when we rented River Valley High School, it was almost $1,000 a week just to rent the space. So we wanted to up front have that money in the bank to cover the expenses of the rent, cover the expenses of a salary of a campus pastor, and then also cover the expenses of the equipment we're going to need to plant that church. And then the second thing we're going to do with that money as we raised it was we wanted to put some money in the bank so that we were in a position to get a permanent home for this church in Yuba City. So right now we rent this space and God's been super gracious to us, but there are just some things that we can't do until we have our own space. So we're not going to make a bad deal. We're not going to jump when we're not supposed to jump. We've looked at a lot of spaces, but we feel like God, as we plant churches, as we do what we're supposed to do, that God's going to provide us a permanent location in this area. And so we're just trying to plan for that so that we're ready when that opportunity opens to move into our own space. And so let me give you a quick update. Uh, we did this last year, and if you're, if you're new to our church... We don't talk about all this stuff every week, uh, but this is, we just up, wanted to update our church. So less than a year in, our church, and I'm so excited about this, and so many of you have been involved in this, less than a year in, our church has committed $155,000 towards this. Absolutely. <laughs> if you were with us about a little less than a year ago, we talked about this, and many families got involved and what's good is committed is good, but what's in the bank is, is more important than what's, because you can commit all day long, but you know, what's in the bank is more important. And here's what's really cool. In less than a year, and this was a two-year commitment, in less than a year, we have over $100,000 that has already come in of that commitment. And so huge, that's huge. I mean, we're at this point, we're not even five years old as a church, and you guys and your families last year at this time, many of you prayed, our family did, and you got involved in this. And so here's what I want us to do. As we believe deeply in getting the news out about Jesus, and you can see from these two things, like this isn't about paying somebody more money, this isn't about a bell and a whistle, this is about what can we do to get the message of Jesus out? And these are things we think. So here's what I want you to encourage you to do if you call City Walk Home. I want to encourage you over these next few weeks, would you pray for these two goals? There's a little brochure right in front of you that just says, people must know. There's a, you go to our website, there's a link where you can find out a lot more information. And I, want, I would really encourage you to pray. Pray that God will provide for these two initiatives. But here's the second thing. If you haven't gotten involved, and I know there's a lot of people that have and are new to our church, or maybe last year at this time, you weren't able to get involved. We're going to have on December 10th, we're going to have a day just like we did last year where we make a commitment. And at this point, it's just for one year because it was a two-year thing that above and beyond our giving over this next year, 
here's what our family or me as an individual can do towards these two initiatives. So we're going to talk a little bit more about it. You can go to the website and find out more information. But I wanted to share this with you. Many of you have asked, you've asked for an update. How are we doing on this? And I felt like it fit really well with what we were talking about today because this message that we kind of walked through this morning is really at the heart of why we started this church. Because we wanted to be salt and light in a community. We wanted to help people understand that Jesus loves them and that Jesus is for them and that Jesus wants a relationship with them that will literally transform them forever. And we just feel like people need to know that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this story of the prodigal son that that we've heard, even if we didn't grow up in church, probably have heard about. And God, we're thankful. We're so thankful that your love for us is not based on who we are. It's not based on what we did on our worst day, but it's based on who you are. And God, we're so thankful that you didn't just talk about loving us, but you proved your love to us by sending your son Jesus to give his life so that we could have a relationship with you. As we close this morning, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and maybe you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you've thought that, you know what, I've done too much, my past is too bad, no, if people really knew who I was, there's no way God wants a relationship with me. I'm here to tell you he does. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here or you're watching online, if you say, man, I, I want a relationship with God, how would, I, how would I go about starting one? Well, just talk to him. Just talk to him. Just tell God, God, you know what? I, I admit I've sinned. God, I admit I've done things my way. God, I admit I've had some really, really bad days. Just tell him. He already knows. Admit it. Just between you and God. And then just in the quietness of your heart, just tell him what you believe. God, I, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. Just tell God. And then just ask him, God, I want a relationship with you. Please come into my life. Transform me. Just tell him. If you're here this morning or watching online and, and you made that decision while I was praying, we'd love to know about it. There's a little card in front of you that says decision. You can fill that out. Or if you're watching online, citywalk.cc, you can fill a decision card out. Or maybe you have questions. You're like, you know what, Chris, I, I want to start a relationship with God, but I've just got some questions. Use that card to put your questions on there and we'll contact you this week. Stop by the next steps table. We'd love to talk with you more. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Chris, I have a relationship with God, but man, I, 
I find myself walking in shame because of my life before meeting Jesus. Or even walking in shame because of some of the things I've done, even as a follower of Jesus, that I'm not proud of. Just tell God that. Just tell God, God, I, I don't want to walk in shame. Just lean in on, on who God is, that God loves you unconditionally. And he wants the best for you. He laid a plan out for you for your good and his glory. And so for some of us, we just need to believe that tangibly. Maybe you're here and you kind of relate with that older son. And in your heart, you've been proud. In your heart, you've looked down at people that struggled. And for you, it's just maybe a moment of just repenting from that. Just telling God, God, I, I, I admit that is sin. And God, I, I want to see people the way you see people. I want to see people the way you saw me with grace. And so just tell God that. God, I pray that you would work in our heart, that we would not leave this morning just, hey, hearing something I've heard before, but that you would use your word to prick our hearts and that we would say yes to whatever you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen.